Uh, so, hey, good morning. If we've never met before, my name is Bob. Um, I am a, an occasional person who gets to stand up here, but by no means am I the regular face. Um, so, uh, if it's your first time, don't worry. A much uglier man will stand up here next week. Uh, that wasn't in my notes, and that was probably a little more intense than I meant it to be. Um, so, I'll back up. A man with much more facial hair than me will stand up here next week. Gosh, that wasn't good. Uh, Happy uh, September 24th to you. I want to remind you that that means we are three months to the day to Christmas Eve. Um, So we're we're getting close. Um, Today, if you've got your Bibles, uh, we will start in Genesis chapter 1, and then we'll be in uh, Jeremiah chapter 2 for a couple minutes, and then we'll end in Philippians 3. So how you want to open your Bibles there, I don't know. Maybe start in Genesis 1 or all three. Um, last time I was up here, I told you that I would not be up here again for like six months because that was the plan. I'm going away for uh, army training for the National Guard um, to Missouri, and I was supposed to leave yesterday, but they never cut my orders, and so here I am at the will of the army, right? So hey, that's pretty awesome. It means I get to stand up here, um, and if you want to pray for me that I get to hit the next class, uh, my wife is pregnant, and me leaving yesterday meant me getting home in time for baby, and now... Uh, the wisdom of the army has decided that I should probably miss that, um, and so I need to get in the next class in October. So if you could pray um, in your, in your, you know, as you're praying, that would be great, because the army needs a lot of help with that sort of thing, apparently. Uh, we're in week two of a series called Felt Needs. So last week, Jake covered the topic um, of being known, like that's a need that we all have, um, because we... And, and this week, I should say, is, uh, it's the, the core need to belong. That's what we're going to unpack today. But the, the premise of this series is we all have these needs, and they're, they're more than wants. They're these needs that are like deep in our souls that we have to have met in our life, or it just impacts us in really powerful ways. Um, and these core needs that we have within us, they shape like almost, you could almost argue all of the decisions we make, whether we go the healthy route or you could say the righteous route and and try to um, fill these needs with good things and uh, even God things or whether that pushes us to do really unhealthy things and kind of cope with those needs and it maybe pushes us to do unhealthy or even sinful and rebellious things. Either way, we all have these needs deep within us and so this whole idea of the series is to talk about the specific to, to be known and to belong and we'll cover to be free and we'll cover to be successful. Like there's something in us that drives us towards success. Um, so we'll get there in future weeks. But today what I want to talk about is the idea that we all have this need to belong and specifically what I want to try to do is answer the question, why? Why is this a thing and why do we all share it? It's like one of those things where we all have this in common. There's not one person among us who's like, no, I'm actually good in this. I actually don't care about belonging at all because if there is a person who would say that, I would say they've probably just been so wounded in this area that they've given up on it, but it's still something that's like burning inside of them. So what I want to try to answer is why, do we, why is this a thing? And more pointedly, why is this a thing for Christians? Why is it still a thing for people who have followed Jesus for years? Because we talk about the miraculous. We talk about the spirit who's in our life, and it's all true and all that stuff. So why do even Christians who walk with Jesus still struggle and long to feel like they actually belong? Um, I think there's some good answers 
um, in the scripture. So uh, that's what we're going to dive into. Um, and one of the things I think the Bible does for us, one of the most helpful things that it does, is it reminds us of the story we're in. Because it, once you get in the thick of life and the busyness and the chaos sometimes, it's almost like being like on a battlefield, right? It's just a fog sometimes and you forget the bigger picture of where you're actually at. And so one of the things, that how, how the Bible has helped me the most is just to remind me of what, what story I am in. And so what we're gonna do for a couple minutes is just hit the high points of Genesis chapter one. Like the very beginning, where did God set this thing in motion, how did he create this thing, and where do we, in fact, belong? So let's move through Genesis chapter one. It says in verse one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So there was nothing, and God decided to make everything, the heavens and the earth. He spoke it into existence. He essentially went public with his glory. He wanted to share it, so he created the heavens and the earth. Then, in verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Now, it's interesting that the word is us. Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, because so far there has been no mention of anybody else besides, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So it's like the first little glimpse of the fact that our God is triune. He's, he's three persons, but he's one God. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but still m- mysteriously just one. And in that tr- trinity, really, there's this perfect community, which we're not going to unpack here, the theology of the trinity, but this, this, theolo- or this uh, triune God who is in community essentially with himself in his perfect oneness creates everything, and then it says, and let them have dominion. So he makes us in his image, and says, let them have dominion. So that's one of the first glimpses of where we belong. We belong in the image of God. We belong to reflect who God is. And that's, that's amazing. That's, where, that's how we exist to, to operate in our lives. It's a place we belong. So in verse 27, it keeps going. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. So, so far what we've established essentially is when God made it, the place we're supposed to be, the place we belong, uh, it's vast, we've, we've already skipped a lot, but it was very good. So we belong in this very good place, this very good state of being with God himself. Then we get to Genesis 2, verse eight, and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So we belong in God's garden, if you will, this almost like a paradise. Like that we we belong in this place that He created, and we were created to work it and keep it. We belong with a, a task, a ministry, a vocation from God. We belong working, essentially. It's a place that we actually have been created to be. And it keeps going. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of, the, of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So again, we, it, what this is unpacking is we belong under God's direction. We belong under his authority, but it's amazing to live under that authority because he's essentially said, hey, you've got to listen to me. You can eat 
anything in this whole amazing place except for that one little thing. So we belong under God's direction in his rule, which is vast. There is so much freedom in that command. What's good for you? Like Adam and Eve, you were created to, 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 to enjoy this entire place except for that one little thing. So we're, we're designed and we belong under God's direction, but it's an amazing place to be because there's actually very little that we were not created um, or that we weren't allowed to do. Uh, let's keep going. Then the Lord God said, this is verse 18, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So we belong together. When we're alone, when we're separated, we're not where we belong. It's against how he created us. It's not good for us to be alone. Or to, to be alone. And it keeps going. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So it gets into marriage. In marriage, they become one flesh, which is definitely talking about the sexual union that men and women have together, but it's more than that. It's more than just two bodies coming together. It's one flesh. It's like, it's like a co-mingling of souls, right? So we belong in this, this place with God, this amazing place where we have all this freedom to enjoy almost the entire garden except for one little thing. We, we belong in relationship with one another and when we're in a marriage relationship, we belong as one flesh in this unity that is like mind-blowing. That's the place that we belong. And verse 25 even says, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So we belong in this place where there is like no shame. That's a pretty amazing place to be. Then the story turns, because so far it's just, we belong in a place that's really amazing. And that most of you know the story turns. We hit Genesis 3, and verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And with that, with just one question, one question with a lie behind it, Eve is standing there and she realizes, wait a minute, yeah, why can't I eat from that one tree? And, and it says that she, she essentially said, well, that actually looks really good and for, for wisdom and for all these different things. And she reached out and she grabbed it. She took a bite of it and then she handed it to Adam who was standing next to her the whole entire time. So they're in it together, absolutely together. And with that, the whole story of the Bible takes a, drastic turn from where we belong to be to where God comes into the garden and he says, Adam, where are you? And then they have this conversation and judgment enters our story. So one of the most helpful things that the Bible can do is remind you about the story you're in and and we're in. And the story that we're all in is the story where we all, starting with them, but we've all done it as well, we have turned our backs on God and we've said, I would rather have what may lie behind this temptation than, I, than having everything else that you've created, the place where I belong. We have all turned our backs on God and we have decided to walk away. And with that, that has torn our, like literally it's torn our hearts from the place that it belongs so that really at the end of the day, you are not where you belong to be. No matter where you're at in the world, you are not where you were created to be because you were created to belong and to be in this place that God created, this garden, and none of us are there. So no matter who you are or what you do for a living or where you live or where you move or how desperate you try to get there, you will not be 
where you belong to be. You're also not who you belong to be. I'm not sure if that's grammatically okay to say, but the point is the same. You are not who you are meant to be. You were meant to be in perfect relationship with God, and that has been absolutely torn away from us. Because with judgment came death and separation, and he cast, literally, he cast us out of his garden, and it says that he basically placed angels with swords uh, uh, on the edge of this garden so that mankind could never enter again, um, which has kind of faded into history. Um, But that's where we live. We're not who we belong to be. And the other part of our story that we live in, even today, is God's enemy, the same one that lied to Adam and Eve, lies to you and lies to me every single day of our life. God's enemy still lies to us every single day. So even under like a reminder, that's the story we were born into, I think is helpful to remind you of, okay, if I've got this core need in me that's not being met, and yet this is the story I've been born into, that means there's a whole lot more going on in this story, and I, I, I need to look for what is going on behind the scenes to see uh, the full picture of what's um, going on. So you and I have been trying to cope with this brokenness of being separated from where God meant us to be. We've been trying to cope with that our entire lives. I think if I sat uh, face-to-face with any of you, I could argue that most of your decisions, good or bad, have been your way of coping or reacting to what has happened to us literally in the garden um, and as we have ourselves rebelled against God. Um, So this explains, like if you want to get super specific, this separation from God explains junior high, for example. So let's talk about junior high for a minute, right? There might be like five of you in here who would raise your hand and say, well, I love junior high. It was great. I knew who I was. My friends knew who they were. It was a great experience. All the rest of us, I think anyway, uh, would say junior high was pretty terrible. Um, So why though? Why? I'm trying to answer the question why. Um, I think it's because in junior high, you're finally coming to, like your brain is coming from mush or whatever it was to realize I don't know who I am. And you're, you're, that's like a thing. Like you're realizing, oh my goodness, I don't know who I am. But at the same time, I know that I really have this longing to belong to a group. I don't know who I am, but I know that I need to be part of a group. And what you don't realize in junior high is all the other fools around you also don't know who they are. And they also want to be part of a group. So in junior high, it's this really awkward thing of like, I want to belong with you, and it seems like you want to belong, but we don't have a clue what to do with this entire mess. So for me, when I got to junior high, I had already gone to seven different schools. Uh, so I rarely finished a, school, a year where I started the year because we moved around, mostly actually at that time, Western Washington. Uh, we moved around a lot. So for junior high, we had just moved, right before, for me, middle school, we had just moved from Federal Way, Washington, to uh, Warba, Minnesota, center of the universe, by the way. Uh, And so I went from whatever Federal Way has, 50,000, 100,000, I don't know, a lot of people, a lot of junior hires probably, and I went to a place called Warba that had 137 people. Well, actually 140 once we moved there. Um, So it was like a crazy, absolute, like, (laughs) <laughs> that switch was huge. Like I went back a uh, hundred years, it seemed like, to go to northern Minnesota, uh, where the you know the saying is, where the men are men. 
and so are the women. <laughs> it was, and it's, it's, I'm not going to say it's true because I would be rude, and I've already been very rude this morning, but uh, it was a whole different experience. So by that time, I had given up on the whole like lunchroom thing, in all honesty, because I can still remember in elementary school, you know, you walk into the lunchroom and you don't care. You just sit there, you eat your food, you go out and you play kickball or whatever. But I remember becoming more aware of the reality of the lunchroom, right? Where um, I would be switching schools, of course, again, and I would walk into this place and like a sea of people, and I would be like, I have no clue what this has for me. And eventually, it didn't take long, I just gave up on it. And I would just take my food and my tray or whatever I had, and I would just go sit against the wall, um, off kind of tucked away. And actually, the interesting thing that happened is a lot of times I would do that, and it wasn't like I was miserable, you know, and like self-pitying and stuff. I was just like, I'm not going to deal with this. Um, I'm okay alone. And I settled that in my soul. Like, if this is the way, if this is where I belong alone, I'm good with it because I'm pretty cool. My thoughts are pretty funny sometimes and uh, all that stuff. So I was just good with it. And what I found is actually other kids would sit next to me, other socially awkward people. And so we would all be like, we don't know what to do with each other, but here we are. And, uh, and that's been my existence ever since. Um, so junior high, I don't know what it was like for you, but it's one of those places that illustrates like we have this longing to belong, but a lot of us don't know what to do. We just don't know what to do with it. It's like life is a giant lunchroom, even for adults. And we're all like walking around looking for a table and we're very aware of what we look like and what we've got and we're all trying to cope with that. And tomorrow when we come back, we're gonna try to change it because I wanna sit at that table. And, uh, and it can be quite, honestly, it can be quite horrifying. Um, so this explains, if you think about not just junior high, but like, all right, you, you grow up, you get older. It explains a lot about life, right? So it explains why when I moved here from Minnesota as a junior in high school, I uh, landed at Lake Washington High School. Um, and again, I was already like done. Like I'm not doing this whole lunchroom thing or all, any of that stuff. So the way that the Lord moved that one was as soon as I moved here from Minnesota, he and his divine wisdom, I hope this isn't too much information for you, he decided to give me one of those good old-fashioned high school ginormous pimples on the end of my nose, right when I moved here from Minnesota. It was probably a stress pimple, right? That's what they told me. Uh, so here I am in a brand new high school. People, I don't know, have a bunch of kangaroos, apparently purple kangaroos. Um, and then here I'm walking, and I can literally see it out of the corner of my eye. And it forced me into this place. Like, I was desperate. I was desperate for uh, a good six months of my life. Like, Lord, what is going on? And I didn't walk with Jesus. I had no clue about him. And literally someone invited me to church. And I walked in those doors already basically defeated. But not, it wasn't even that bad. It was just like, ugh, you know, like, this is ridiculous. Who am I? And so I walked into those doors and finally someone started talking about this bigger story that we're in. And I started hearing about someone who doesn't give a rip about what's on the end of my nose. And his name was Jesus. And the sermons I heard from in that time, honestly, were not good. They were, in that youth group at that time, they weren't the best. But I loved it. And finally, I felt like, okay, I don't belong in this youth group because it's the same thing as high school to me, but I belong with this person named Jesus. And so I was, I was all in. So, so you move through high school. Uh, it also explains, this separation from God explains 
um, things like why we care about the school we go uh, to in general, like our school sports teams. Like, why is that a thing? Why do we, as high school kids, care about the fact that we're the purple kangaroos and those Juanita rebels, man, they're the worst people in the world and we hate them because they're our rival and stuff like that. When in reality, the kid that goes to Juanita High School just happened to be born to the parents who live on the other side of 100th Avenue. Like, they have no control over this. They're the same morons as you. Like, there's just two different groups of morons, two high schools, and yet they hate each other and they're called rivals. The same thing to me, and to, to me anyway, happens in, uh, in college and even pro sports. Let's, let's pick on you a little bit. Why do we care? Why do we care? I think it's because we long to belong to a group. Some of you are still like diehard fans of a team, whatever sport you're into, from a town that you had a connection to 25 years ago. Everyone on that team is now gone or dead. And yet you're like, I'm still a Viking, or I'm a, I'm a saint at heart, or whatever it might be. Why is that a thing? I think it's because we long to belong to a group, even though they don't know your name. You don't know, I mean, anyway, sports. That explains that. It, it gets... It gets into serious things, like it explains why spouses, you put a tremendous amount of weight on your spouse to meet this need in your soul, to feel like you belong. So when you enter that relationship, or you're in that relationship, and you don't feel like you belong there, and a, a big part of belonging is feeling desired, I have found. So when you don't feel like you are desired, and that gets filled in with other things, like, well, I'm necessary, but I'm not desired here. That brings really, really dark, dark thoughts because you are placing this weight on your spouse that they were never, ever, ever intended to carry. And so we do that to our spouses. Sometimes we even do that to our kids. It explains why in our friendships, sometimes you get almost uh, like, you can almost feel a sadness when you see a, a, a close friend have a really good connection with someone else other than you. Like you hear that they went out to dinner or they did this other thing. Sometimes it will create this reaction within you because you, I thought we were like best friends. I thought we belonged. So when you hear that they had this connection with someone else, it almost creates like this question mark. And again, it can lead you to really dark places in your mind. It's a thing. Um, it explains why Geez, in large part, it explains why I even joined the National Guard in the first place. I was 30 years old when I went to basic training in the Army National Guard. And uh, I, in large part, did it because there was this thing in me where I longed for what you hear about, in, even like in stories or movies or whatever, I longed for the brotherhood that it seems like soldiers have with one another. I wanted that so badly, I convinced Ruth to let me join the Army as a 30-year-old uh, with three kids at the time. Um, so I was at basic training with like 17-year-olds and 19-year-olds, and then I'm the old 30-year-old um, because I longed for it. And so I've been in almost four years in the National Guard, um, and it's only part-time, but it has utterly f uh, failed to fill that for me. It has utterly failed. I, I like it. I love it at times. I'm proud to wear the uniform when I get to wear it, but it has failed to answer that part in my soul. It just can't, it wasn't designed to even as much as I sometimes want it to. It explains small things, um, like I think it explains the, the clothes we wear. A lot of times you wanna belong to a certain group or to a certain whatever. Even this morning I was like, well I'm preaching, should I wear just a t-shirt or do I have to wear a nice shirt? 
hmm, well, I guess I want to belong to, like, what, the clergy or something? I'm not going to, like, what? There's a question mark behind, underneath the surface, even in the clothes you wear. Or when you don't, some, some of you aren't wearing the clothes you want to wear, you're actually, it's a thing. You wish you could wear different clothes because you wish you had the money to. It's, it's, there's this thing in us that wants to fix and fill that void. It explains so many of the decisions we make. If, if you boil it all down, whether it's, you know, big things, small things, we're all trying to cope with our separation from God, from the place that we were created to be, the place that we belong. We're in this together. We're, we just choose different ways of coping, um, whether it's righteous ways or ways where we essentially turn our backs on God and say, I'm going to keep trying on my own, and you jump headlong into that. So if you go to Jeremiah 2, uh, verses 11 through 13, here's what it says. My people... This is God talking. My people have changed or exchanged their glory for that which does not profit. It doesn't work. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, the only one where life is truly found, and they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So what it's saying is all of us have forsaken God and we have tried to find life where life isn't found. It doesn't hold water. The only place you can get it is in God himself. He's the only one where satisfaction is found. So I don't want to paint the picture as if like everyone's life is really terrible. I'm not, I'm not trying to like go all, you know, totally south and, and bad and stuff like that. I totally understand that there are a lot of people in here who are very satisfied with life, you're very happy. I myself find myself almost, almost always just in a good place. So I'm not saying it's all bad. What I'm saying is, even if it's not all bad, even if you're a completely well-adjusted person, there is this thing underneath the surface that is a core need, it is a felt need to, be, to belong, and it impacts the decisions um, we make. So what I want to ask for the next couple of verses that we're going to jump into is why is this a thing? And again, why is it even a thing for people who follow Jesus? I get up every morning, uh, or at least almost every morning, and I jump into God's word for a while, and I pray, and I do all this stuff like we're supposed to do, and I can still, in all honesty, stand up here and tell you it's not fixed. I don't feel like I belong. Like there's, there's still something there. I love Jesus. I love engaging him. I love uh, all these things, but it's still there. And I wonder if that's the same for you. So I want to try to answer, why is that a thing? Like, why are we still struggling with this? So in Philippians chapter three, uh, we're just going to look at a couple verses. It never mentions the word belong. So I'm not saying that's what this was written for. It's written to answer this specific question and the, you know, these words that we're choosing. But it's, it's going to frame it in a way where I think is very helpful um, talking about our separation from God and why we don't feel like we're in the right spot. And Paul is writing this letter to a church in a town called Philippi, a big city in that day, um, is a Roman colony. And he's writing to this church in Philippi from prison. 
So he was in prison at least twice. One of those times was in Caesarea. If you've read the book of Acts, which we've talked about a little bit here, at the end of it, Paul is in prison. He's essentially uh, been put in, put in prison, and then he has talked to the rulers um, about following Jesus and all this stuff, and they were about to let him go, but he appealed to Caesar, which means they were like, okay, fine, we're going to send you to Rome. So he was in prison in Caesarea, and then they shipped him off to Rome so that he could be tried in the courts of Caesar himself. So when he writes the book of Philippi, he says he's in prison, Paul, you know, a prisoner for the Lord. So he's either in Caesarea or he's in Rome. Probably in Rome because he talks about how his life is likely coming to an end. His road is coming uh, to, to the end, at least here. So from prison, from this very desperate place, he is writing to a church in Philippi. And the, what he has said a couple verses before where we'll dive into in chapter three, verse one, he's telling this church, Rejoice in the Lord. I'm not even afraid to say it again. He says, rejoice. That's how, that's how he writes it. He's telling them to find their joy, find their satisfaction in the Lord himself. Not in the Lord's gifts, but in the Lord. So Paul, the prisoner, has just written him that, and then he keeps going, and we'll jump in in verse 17. He says, brothers, join in imitating me. If I knew someone, let's say it was Jake, and he was in prison in Seattle, and he wrote a letter to me and said, hey, rejoice in the Lord. I'll say it again, rejoice. Rejoice in him, find your satisfaction in him. And then a couple words later in his letter to me, he said, join in imitating me from prison. There's obviously, he's not asking me to join in imitating him and like getting locked up, getting arrested, and for whatever reason, Paul was in there because he followed Jesus. And that's essentially what he's telling them is, hey, join in imitating me and how I even carry myself into prison because even from this desperate place where my life is coming to an end, I can tell you to rejoice in the Lord because it's what I'm doing. It's totally what I'm doing. So he's telling him, uh, brothers, join in imitating me as he's given everything to following Jesus to the point where he'd be in prison. And it says, keep, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. This is one of those verses when you read over it, it's really easy to just keep going because it doesn't seem like there's much there. But if you, if you really think about it, one of the reasons we don't feel like we belong, like, like something's broken, I think, is because we... Uh, with our thoughts and even with our feet, we do things that are, are us, they're an example of us following Jesus. But he's telling us to put our eyes on those who follow the example of himself, those who are giving everything to following Jesus. So sometimes our feet, like we go to church, we make decisions, we jump in the word in the morning, we pray, our feet and our thoughts are following Jesus, but our eyes are elsewhere. They're not on the people who are really following Jesus closely. They're not on the, the community of people that are following Jesus, the church, ideally, right? They're, instead, they're on all the bright, shining objects that this world has to offer. So when I go to work at Stronger Families, is where I work, and I see, you know, whatever is going on. I see the, the people that we serve, um, and sometimes, you know, you get to travel to this. The people we work with are at military installations all over the place, and sometimes you see things that they get to experience in their life, and you're just tempted to be like, I just really want what they have. Or other times, I'll even see coworkers who are obviously much better off than me financially. And again, I'm wanting to follow Jesus, but my eyes are on them. And all of a sudden I'm thinking my budget, oh, if I did this, that, and the other thing, I could make my budget fit to, to, and all of a sudden I'm torn. I'm like divided. I'm wanting to follow the things of the world and my eyes aren't on those who walk according to the example 
like Paul sets in giving everything to the kingdom of God. I think this is one of the best, in a way, it's one of the best arguments for joining a group because we're doing groups here. We're, we're not spending, let's face it, we're not spending enough time together as believers. We spend very little time together. It's just our reality. We're all too busy at uh, work and kids, if you've got kids, and all the different things that pull your time. We do not spend near enough uh, time together, even though most of us who came at like the very beginning of Arbor, that was the whole premise. It's why we were excited to come to Arbor. Is it was, we're going to make disciples together. That was the whole buzzword that we had. We almost called this thing Together Church. Do you guys know that? I think we've hidden it from you because it's a really cheesy name. Uh, there was like a vote. We were voting. Do we call it Arbor or something else, or do we just call it Together Church because that's what we're going for. We want a place where everyone feels like even if all else fails up here, as long as we're together, it's still a win because we're all following Jesus together. I voted yes for that one, and I think I might have been the only one because it is a really cheesy name. Um, but it was like the whole premise of everything um, that we've got up going on, and joining, even just joining a group is hard. The reason I say it's one of the best arguments for joining a group is because joining a group is essentially the discipline to just put relationship with other people on your calendar. Like, I'm not just going to let my life slip away. I know this group meets every Thursday at 7 p.m., and I'm going to commit to doing that because we don't rub shoulders with each other enough. And if that means that I'm, I'm too busy, I can't do that, and other things need to fall away, good. They need to fall away because we need to be together. We belong together. Um, but the verse keeps going, so we'll keep going too. Verse 18. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. So Paul is, he's comparing, hey, uh, imitate me, set your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us, because many, and I say this with tears is what he's saying, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, which means their, their God, the one they serve is basically their appetite, and they glory in what they should be ashamed of. Their glory is their shame, with minds set on earthly things. So here's a, a hard reality. Some of you don't feel like you belong, because in a way, you don't. You are still separated from God. From the, the Genesis 1, from the story where we were ripped away from God, that is our default. Default By nature and by choice, we are separated, torn apart from God, and that is our existence. Some of you have a really hard time in life, and you just feel out of sorts, and you're trying to find claw for life, and your heart is like grasping to find a place that will satisfy you, and the reason that is being unmet is because you still actually, in a way, you don't belong, because that relationship with God hasn't been reconciled. But don't get me wrong, that relationship with God is absolutely where you truly do belong. It's the way, it's where we were created to be. So the, the thing that's happening with you, the reason you don't feel it, it's not being like met in your life is because you, for whatever reason, you're trying to find life outside of God and that relationship has to be fixed before you're gonna find any sense of satisfaction um, in this place. And the only way that you can be reconciled to God is through the one, the, the one who lived the life that you were meant to live but you utterly failed to, and I utterly failed to. 
His name is Jesus. He lived the life we were meant to live and then he died the death that we deserve to die. He literally took our punishment on his shoulders, got up on a cross and died the death that we deserve to die. That's why the cross is a thing. And he's the one who then raised back to life and he's the one with the power to offer us that same life, which is basically, they call it the great exchange. So you walk up to Jesus and say, I will give you my sin because I can't deal with it myself. I've tried my whole life. And he says, if you give me your sin, I'll bear that weight and I'll give you my righteousness. And you can stand before God, good to go. Like my righteousness will cover you. And when God sees you, he won't see sin. He won't see rebellion. He won't see any of that. There will be no judgment because he will see Jesus's perfect work, perfect life, his death, and that will cover you. That is a reason why a lot of people don't feel like they belong and there's something going on in their soul is because they haven't reconciled their relationship with God. You'll never, ever fix this on your own. You've got to come to Jesus and, and trust him for that. And I'm not only saying that for people who are outside of the church and for people who uh, don't follow Jesus yet. That is daily Christian living, is approaching God and saying, again, I need your your ref- the, I need your blood to cover me again. I need the work of the cross to cover me again. It, the Christian life is a life of repentance. It's just the way it is. Um, do you want to, if you want to think about what the Christian life is, one of my favorite ways to think about it is it's like you, uh, you eventually come to an understanding, whether it's at church or somewhere else, you come to an understanding that your life or in your life, you've got this huge ball of rope that's just a huge mess and it's all tangled up, and it, I mean, it's just a giant nightmare. And you essentially walk up to God and say, God, I've, I realize I have made an absolute mess of this thing. Like, look at my life. Look at my heart. It's, it's a thing. And, and you do that great exchange. You say, Jesus, if you'll take this, I'll follow you. I'll, I want to be yours. Please cover me with, you know, all the stuff we just talked about. And so it's, it's like the Bible says, God says, yep. I will cover you. Uh, your sin will be removed from you farther than the east is from the west and all that stuff. And it happens. You've placed your faith in him and you're still standing there with this huge, you know, tangled up rope and you're like, well, wait a minute. I, st- I thought you were going to take this. And he says, oh, I'm not just going to make it disappear because the rest of our lives, what it is, is you walking with Jesus and walking with his followers, keeping your eyes on those who walk according to the example, and it's Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the church all together, basically untying one knot at a time, all of our, our mess. And you get one knot untied, and you realize that underneath that knot, you thought you are just going to be good to go, because, ah, oh, what else is going wrong? And all of a sudden, you get through one thing, and you realize, oh, that uncovered a whole different issue in my life. So you get through one addiction and that just uh, unveils the fact that you've got this whole underlying thing for the reason that you were addicted in the first place because you have made this core decision in your heart to X, Y, or Z. And so walking with Jesus is almost like you're daily engaging him saying, hey, I, I realize this about me. Can you help me unpack this? Whether it's your loneliness, whether it's your anger that's always underneath the surface, whether it's just this deep sadness or the fact that you've been absolutely wounded at some point in your life and you don't know what to do with it and it creates something in you, it's always you carrying it but then offering it up to Jesus and him essentially uh, helping you get through it and in a lot of ways, he actually carries that all that weight for you as you walk with him. That's what the Christian life is. Once you say yes to him, he doesn't just take it all away and the doves fly off into the distance and you hear harp music and all that nonsense. It doesn't happen. So that's what the Christian life is. 
So to, to kind of land the plane here, um, most people in this room have followed Jesus for years. So as I look out and I see, I know a lot of you, most people in this room have followed Jesus for years. And yet, I think if we really had some good conversations, you would say this is an unmet, at least all the time, it's, like it, it's not consistently met in my life. I still have this sense where I know I need to belong, but I don't feel like I belong. I'm not in the relation, type of relationships that really um, meet this. Why? Why can you walk with Jesus, have the power of the Holy Spirit at your, not disposal, because that's the wrong word, but literally right there, and yet this is an unmet need. And I think it comes down to just one simple fact that you already know, and it's this. This isn't our home. It's not. If you keep going in the verse, verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven. That's our home. We were created, like Genesis says, to be in God's place in that garden and stuff, but we're not. That ain't coming back until the consummation of like all things where he restores everything. And if you read Genesis, it's this renewed, it's a like city, right, where heaven and earth meet and stuff. But that ain't happening here. The reason we don't feel like we belong, even if we follow Jesus for years, is our citizenship is in heaven. It's not here. This isn't our home. It says, from it, from heaven, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We still need to be rescued. Even if you follow Jesus today, it's, we're awaiting a, a, a consummated rescue who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. There's more going on in the story in the future. It's not yet. By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So in this place, in this world, we are exiles. We are sojourners. We are moving from one place to the next. In fact, if you did feel like you belong, if you were on, as an exile, you're moving on, and all of a sudden you felt like you found your niche, the place in this world where you truly, truly belong, chances are you are, you're probably placing your hope in a place where you shouldn't be placing it if you're trying to sink your roots too deep in this world in the first place because your citizenship is in heaven. That's where you belong. You will always feel a little bit out of sorts until you get there. It's, it's our reality. The good news is, even if that's the case, we're not alone in it. Even as exiles and as sojourners, we're, we're supposed to walk together. So that's the place that we belong in this lifetime is together. That's why the church is a thing. That's why we're the body of Christ because we move and we, 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 we navigate through the world together and then we come to that final place and Jesus is with us the whole time and then once the whole thing is consummated, then that's where we'll be in the place where we truly belong and all that longing will be absolutely met in its entirety. So our citizenship is in heaven. So my, I guess my goal this morning was to help all of us and myself to remember the story that we're in. Because I feel like if you remember that the bigger picture, the story that you're in, how we were created to belong in a place that we just simply aren't anymore, it will help you to not cope with that sense in an in a unhealthy way, but rather to take it to Jesus, the only one who really can offer you life. And who, he's really the only one who can meet that need um, in your life. So remember the story you're in, that this isn't your home, and also remember the story that others are in, that as they try to cope with their stuff, whether that creates 
or makes them into a huge jerk or, you know, whatever it is, the person that you just can't stand or that you have a hard time with or you don't have patience for, you've got to remember that they're doing the same thing that you are. They're trying to cope with their separation from God. So a little patience and a little wisdom and a little encouragement might help them along the way. Um, parents, I would challenge you to remember that the way you answer this question of belonging in the hearts and the souls of your kids is in large part how they're going to view how God answers that question in their life. It's just the way our psyche works. Um, spouses, I would say, remember that your husband and your wife can't meet this need in your life. I've tried. It doesn't work. And if you're trying right now and it's frustrating you, it's because they weren't meant to carry that load. So this, this goes into all sorts of different places in your life. What I want to do now is just pray for you, that you can think and have clarity on how it should impact you and that you would be able to walk from this place uh, right behind Jesus. So let's pray.